Who is Jesus? I don't want you to write anything in those blanks yet. Even if you have an answer. I want you to wait to the end. I want to lay before you that is the most important question of your life. And I want to beg you to not assume you know the answer. To not assume you know exactly who Jesus is and everything about Him. If you are in this room and you don't know Christ personally, you likely know that. If you are in this room and you only know Jesus in a religious way, you likely do not know that. Today, it is my prayer that Jesus will reveal Himself to us. And we will know Him. And we will know Him as He is in all His glory. And if we are lost, that we will be saved. And if we are lost religiously, that He will tear down those walls and He will show us who He is. Who do others say Jesus is? It's the first question in your worship guide. Hindus and Buddhists say Jesus was a holy man. A wise teacher. Some Hindus go as far as accepting that Jesus was a god. A god of their pantheon of gods. One of their many gods that they celebrate. You may or may not be surprised to know that most of Islam believes in Jesus. Those who prescribe to Islam affirm Muhammad as the final and most important prophet of God, but most of them believe that Jesus was also a prophet of God. They believe he was lesser than Muhammad, but they call him an apostle of God and a divine teacher. Some of them believe that Jesus will return and that he will return to serve Muhammad. There's a New Age movement. They believe Jesus is a wise and great teacher of moral laws and code of conduct and that if you were to follow what He has taught, you will live a good life. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach that Jesus was God's special Son. Which we might say, well, that's right. They go on to say that He is not equal to the Father. But He is the greatest of everything God created. In 2020, the Ligonier Ministry conducted a national poll all across the United States and they found that 52% of Americans conclude that Jesus was not God but He was a great teacher. That might not surprise us that much. It might surprise you to know that in that same poll, 
30% of people who identify as evangelical Christians agreed with that statement. That Jesus wasn't God, but He was a great teacher. It might surprise you to know that in that same poll, 65% of people across the country who said, yes, I am an evangelical Christian, agreed with this statement when asked, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. The mainstream church, how many people say of Jesus, He's my Savior. He is God, not created, my Savior. But they don't identify Him as Lord. They don't look to Him and His Word for what they do. They bend Him to themselves rather than bending themselves to Him. I want you to remember that when Paul wrote to Colossae, when he wrote to the Colossians, the prime reason that he is writing to them is that some philosophy of human deceit had infiltrated itself into the church. It had aligned itself with the Christian gospel, but it was pulling people away from Christ and looking to Jesus for everything. And Paul is writing this letter, and he doesn't directly ask the question, who is Jesus? But it's implicit in the text. Church, I want to remind you who Jesus is. Because if you don't know who He is, you are going to fall to this empty deceit and this philosophy. Agape, who is Jesus? It is the most important question of your life. For a moment, put aside everything else. I don't care if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. I don't care if you're a conservative or a liberal. I don't care if you're rich or you're poor. I don't care if you're a charismatic or a Baptist. I don't care who is Jesus. That's everything. And don't assume you know. I told all the leaders in this room before we got started today, I learned something this week. I don't know as much about Jesus as I think that I know. None of us do. But that's okay. Because if we realize that and we pursue Him, He will reveal Himself to us. Who does the Spirit of God say Jesus is? The Spirit of God led Paul to write this letter. The Spirit of God inspired all of the Scriptures. We've heard who others say Jesus is. Who does the Spirit of God say Jesus is? He is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Jesus, I ask You that You would reveal Yourself to this people today. Let us throw aside every label that we put on ourselves. Every religious debate and discussion that we get embroiled in and bring us back to the center of everything. Please show us who You are. Let it go to our hearts, our minds, everything. Jesus, I pray that You will show us who You are. You will save the lost. You will bring the religious to a place of sincere worship. That we would know You. And we would know the implications of who You are to our lives. That we would not assume we know You. But that right now, through Your Word, by Your Spirit, You would open our eyes in our ears. You would save our souls. And You would empower this church to be rooted in You. Growing in Your likeness. Bearing fruit in Your name. Do this in Your mercy. Do not let any of us go. Do not let any of us go astray. Let the message of who you are and your work sway us to salvation and holiness. And break down the lies of the enemy when we see your authority, your supremacy, your power for us. I ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's walk through this text together. Who does the Spirit of God say Jesus is? He is the image of the invisible God. You cannot see God. He is Spirit. He is invisible. So who is Jesus? 
If you are to really know God, if you are to really draw near to God, you need a manifestation of God. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. He is the image of the God that you cannot see. There were people that for a short period of time on this earth, they saw Jesus. They saw God. They touched Jesus. They touched God. They heard Jesus. They heard God. But Jesus said, you all are blessed that I am going back to the Father because I'm going to send My Spirit to you. We can see Jesus too. Not yet visibly, but if you dedicate yourself to abiding with Him, praying to Him, getting alone with Him, He will reveal Himself to you in a way that only the Spirit of God and the mystery of what Christ is doing can explain. You will see God. You will be with Christ. The image of God will be present with you. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This does not mean that He was the firstborn out of creation. That is what some, including the Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, who take this text and pull those lines out and say this shows that Christ was created. But that is not what Paul is saying. The firstborn is a title of special honor and privilege. He is saying that Jesus Christ has special honor and privilege among all of creation. That everything looks to Him. In a sense, what this is saying is He is the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn in a family typically has the rights and the privileges of a firstborn. They often carry the weight of responsibility of the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He has special honor and privilege over everything. And He carries a weight of responsibility for everything. And we go to verse 16, and here's how we absolutely know Paul isn't saying that Jesus was created. Because verse 16, for by Him all things were created. He's not the first thing God created. He is the one who created everything. Jesus Christ was the agent of God who created everything. You go to Genesis 1.1, you start reading everything spoken into into existence, created. It was Jesus who did that. For by Him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Everything that you can see. Everything visible to you. Jesus created. Every creature. Every sunset. Every star. Jesus created those things. Everything you can see. Every person you can see. Our podcast this week as a church is based on this text of how different it should be for us to relate to people in our lives 
by looking at them and realizing Jesus created them. No matter what our prejudices may be, no matter what our hatred may be or our offenses to someone, no matter what they may do to us, we look at them and we know Jesus created them. He is the image of God and He created them in God's image, which means they were created in the image of Christ, just like you were. That means they have inherent value. That should change how we see people. He also created all the things that we cannot see. The realm that exists, that the enemy of your soul would love for you to believe doesn't exist. Everything invisible. Everything in heaven. Everything was created by Christ. Every throne or dominion. Remember verse 13 in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the dominion of darkness. How does Jesus have the authority and the ability to transfer someone from the domain of darkness to the domain of light? Because every dominion bows to Him. What you can't see and what you can see. At the end of the day, why should you not be afraid of any earthly king, any earthly authority, any spiritual power, because every one of them bows to Jesus because He created them. Every dominion, every throne, every ruler, every authority were created by Him, which means they are responsible to Him. They will answer to Him. He did not create them evil. What happened? In the spiritual realm, what we cannot see that He created rebelled against Him. Rebelled against God. Infiltrating the earth and leading that which we can see that has rebelled against Him as well. But in that rebellion, He has not stopped being their Creator, their Judge, their Authority. By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created. Again, we see through Him. So same picture as what we've already seen. Everything was created by Him. It's being reiterated here. And for Him. Everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. I told you this week, I was like, I don't know all about Christ that I think I know. And I, this morning with the leaders, I, I asked them a question because I asked myself this question. If someone came to you and they laid a piece of paper in front of you and they said, you're a believer, I want you to tell me, is this statement true or false? And you look down on the paper and here's what the statement says. Jesus created everything for Jesus. Would you say, oh yeah, absolutely. Or would you go, hmm, wait, is that right? This text just told us everything was created by Jesus and everything was created for Jesus. Jesus created everything for Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means 
that everything in all of creation is intended to point you to the supremacy of Christ. He created everything that we would see His value, His worth, His power, His authority. The most beautiful of sunrises is to point you to Jesus. The most beloved friend you have is to point you to Jesus. The most difficulty you will face in your life is meant to point you to Jesus. Everything in all of creation points to Him. You and I have been created to savor the supremacy of Christ forever. He created everything that we would see Him. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. He is eternal. Again, those who would say He's a created being, He is not. Before everything that we see that we call reality was the reality of Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Jesus has always existed. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. In Him all things hold together. What is all things? Everything. Present tense. Jesus was not a divine clockmaker who made this timepiece, set it into motion, and stepped away. Every atom in your body is being held together right now because of Christ. You are breathing in and out because of Jesus. The sun came up this morning, and if it goes down tonight, it will because His hand is on creation. And if He was to remove it at any moment, everything would cease. In Him, all things hold together. He is the beginning. Everything came from Him. He is the end. Everything is for Him. And He is the sustainer. It is all about Him. Christ is all. We sang this morning, all I have is Christ. What does that lyric mean? Literally, He's all we have. He is sustaining our lives. He is everything. Your life is not random. You are not... No, nothing you can help with. Your life is not random. You are not floating around in the universe at the whim of spiritual forces. Christ is sustaining everything. He is everything. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body. The head certainly means authority. But it is your head that gives life to your body. It is your head that causes you to think and act and move. The church of the living God thinks as Jesus causes it to think. 
moves as Jesus gives it direction. Acts as Jesus tells it to act. If we're part of the true church, we are looking to Jesus. If you are a leader, if you ever have the opportunity to be a leader, I will tell you, the greatest challenge of being a pastor, the greatest danger of being a pastor is to believe that it is my responsibility to cause people to do the things that they should do. And it is not. I am called to teach and encourage and exhort and sometimes warn, but it is Jesus who leads His church. Leaders who don't pray, who don't look to Him, who don't ask Him to move before they move, they are not remembering that Jesus is the head. You and I, when we try to make decisions for our life, when we try to decide what we're going to do and how we're going to feel and how we're going to think without turning to Jesus, we are forgetting that He is the head. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. Now, why did Paul do that? He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning. So if you're reading it, it might be that you go, wait a minute, Paul, you've already said that. You just told us He was the beginning. For by Him all things were created. Yes, you said that. I, I think He's reminding us, yes, but I think it has a double meaning. Because look at the rest of it. He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, what does that mean? Firstborn, we've already seen it. It's a title of special privilege. It's a title of special honor. What does it mean that He's the firstborn from the dead? Jesus walked the path that every human being will walk. The path of death. And He was resurrected from the dead. Why did that have to happen? He created all things, visible and invisible, on earth and in heaven, and then there was rebellion. Spiritual forces rebelled against Him. That domain of darkness tempted mankind to rebel, and they did. And all of creation is under a curse of chaos and trouble and difficulty. Every problem we'll ever face, every division, every hatred, all loneliness, depression, despair, pain, everything comes from that picture of rebellion and chaos. What did God do? He sent His Son Jesus. What did Jesus do? He entered into that chaos. He entered into that division. He entered into that loneliness and that pain and that suffering. And He took it upon Himself ultimately to the cross. To do what? To bear the wrath of God. To take responsibility for all the chaos. And the end was death. Because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. But He died because He took responsibility for the chaos, the rebellion of His creation. But then what happened? He was resurrected. What does that show? Nothing has power over Jesus. Not even death. That is why. Look at all of it. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The beginning of what? The new creation. 
That's why Paul takes us back there. He is now, he was the beginning of creation and now he is the beginning of the new creation because the church is the beginning of the new creation. We are not there yet, but in the church, when we are saved, we taste the goodness of the creation to come. We ourselves are called to die because we're told we are what? New creatures. So we die and we're resurrected, we're reborn in the image of Jesus. He is the beginning of this new creation. He is the beginning of the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent, which means supreme, that in everything He might be supreme. Because nothing binds Jesus, not even death. No one defeats death. No one. No matter how healthy we are, no matter what all right things we do, no one defeats death except Christ and everyone that Jesus calls to new life. Everyone who has looked to Him and believed upon Him and have been saved, they too will defeat death. If you believe in Christ, not as the Hindus do, not as the Buddhists do, not as the New Ages do, not as the Jehovah's Witnesses do, not as evangelical Christians do that say that He was a good teacher. If you believe in Christ as the Spirit of God says He is, Christ has defeated death on your behalf and you will live in all of eternity with Him. Because He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That word for, you could circle that word, it's, it's basically explaining why all these things are true. How is it Jesus is the image of the invisible God? By Him all things were created. He is before all things. In Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. He is the beginning of the new creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. Why? Because He is God. Jesus is God. This is the verse the Jehovah's Witnesses skip over again. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him. In Jesus. Jesus is God. And God the Father planned through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven. That is not a universalist statement. Some have said it is. There are heretics throughout church history that have said eventually all people will be saved, including Satan and demons, because God chose through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. But that is not what Paul is saying. Because the rest of Scripture bears that out. There is, including Colossians, there is wrath to come for wrongdoing and sin. What does Paul mean that he reconciles to himself all things? Number one, all things, all creation is reconciled and will be reconciled to God through Christ. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. We're not, we're not going to float on clouds with little harps and halos. There will be a new creation that descends 
and we will live in it for all of eternity with resurrected physical bodies. Because He's reconciling all things to Himself. But I also believe it means the sense of He reconciles all things that will be reconciled. And Paul finishes helping us understand what he means by reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by saying he made peace by the blood of his cross. Peace with God comes by the blood of the cross of Christ. That you would believe upon the blood of Christ shed for you. And that would be your hope. And that is what you would cling to. And if you believe in that and you cry out from your heart to be saved, you will have peace with God. And there will be an eternity where there is peace with all of the new creation. And that peace will come two ways. One, it will come by everyone who believes upon Christ. And it will come by the destruction of all who don't. The cross of Jesus shows us the supremacy of Christ and it shows us the wrath of God. Every rebel, every rebel creature in heaven and on earth will one day be dealt with by God. Either Jesus will stand before His Father And that rebellious creature, that person, and will say, they believe, they cling to me, they look to me, they are mine. And God will say, the sacrifice of Jesus was enough for your soul. And you will be saved and have peace for all time. Or the rebels will stand before God with no mediator. And they will be silenced for all of eternity. And there will be peace. Who is Jesus? In your notes, I want you to see these things. His supremacy speaks. The supremacy of Christ speaks. He is the giver of life. He is the beginning and the end. All things are created by Him and for Him. All the fullness of God dwells in Him. Jesus is God. His supremacy is speaking. I'm an infallible person. I I am not perfect. I'm not the best preacher you will ever hear. But on this day, in this moment, God has ordained you to be here to hear about the supremacy of Jesus. He is speaking and it is a matter of whether or not you will listen. Let His supremacy wash over you. Forget everything else that is an obstacle in your way. I am sorry. I am sorry because I've come across so many people over time who look at the church and they look at faith and they look at religion and they've been so hurt by those things. And I am sorry about that. I really am. It grieves me to know that people hurt people in the name of God. But it doesn't change who Jesus is. 
We don't get a different pathway because that has happened. It's Christ. It's His supremacy. Or it's death. God is not unfair in that. He is not unjust in that. If you are drowning and someone sends a boat, no one looks at the boat and says, it's not fair you didn't send a helicopter because I would have rather have been saved that way. If you're dying, you are thankful for rescue. You're not mad that there's not multiple paths. You are thankful for Jesus. Let His supremacy speak to you. Secondly, His authority overwhelms. His supremacy speaks. His authority over, overwhelms. He has all authority. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Everything bows to Him. When you are afraid of this world, when you are scared of the future, when you are anxious and you are nervous, read Colossians 2.10. If you are a believer, you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Remember His words in Matthew 28.18. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Me. Look to Jesus. Nothing has authority over Him. And if you abide with Him and you love Him, He cares for you. There is nothing that is bigger than Christ in your life. Embrace Him. Look to Him. Cling to Him. His authority overwhelms. His power upholds. In Him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3 He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is holding everything together. When you feel weak, when you feel like you cannot do it, you feel like you cannot go on, when you want to give up, when you want to give up on faith or the church, when you want to give up on life, you want to give up on people, you want to give up on hope, look to Christ. He upholds everything. He encourages everyone who looks to Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. When you are weak, you are in a position to experience the power of Christ in a way that you will not experience it if you were powerful. Because when you are powerful, you don't look to Jesus, you look to yourself. But when you realize your weakness and you look to Christ, that is when you see real power. He will uphold you. He will keep you going. He will not let you give up. His power upholds. His provision fills. His provision fills. He is the head of the body, the church. He meets every need. Every need of His people. He is the head. He meets it. You will never meet. You will never have a need. You will never meet a need that Christ cannot and will not take care of. That doesn't mean that He will take care of it exactly the way you want Him to. It doesn't mean that He will not call you to make changes in your life. But you will never meet a need that He doesn't care about and He won't provide for. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Christian, lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. 
There is nothing in your life that you will ever say, I I just can't get out of that. I couldn't resist the temptation. I couldn't help but do that thing. The power was too great. Look to Christ. Nothing. I'm not saying it won't be hard. I'm not saying you won't have to labor with all of His energy that is in you. But you never give up and you never say, it was too much. Christ provides. His provision fills. His ministry heals. Luke chapter 4. Jesus makes this declaration at the very beginning of His ministry. What is His ministry going to be about? And He reads from the prophet Isaiah this incredible picture as He stands up and He moves to the front of this synagogue and He unrolls this scroll and He reads this passage, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent Me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then the Bible says He rolled the scroll up, He gave it back to the attendant, He sat down, everyone in the synagogue was looking at Him, and He said, Today, that has been fulfilled in your presence. In other words, He was saying, that was about Me. His ministry heals. He is able to reconcile to Himself all things. There is nothing that has ever happened to you that He cannot overcome. There is nothing that has ever happened to you that He cannot turn to good in your life. There is nothing that has ever happened to you that He cannot heal in the way that it needs to be healed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Do you feel poor? He has good news for you. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Do you feel bound and in captivity and held back? He has come to proclaim liberty. Do you feel blind? He has come to recover sight. Do you feel oppressed? He has come to proclaim liberty to you. Do you feel like no one cares? Like you can never get ahead in life? He has come to proclaim the favor of the Lord upon you. That doesn't mean you're going to be rich and have nice vehicles and all your paid off debt. Forget that junk. If God does that, praise God. Use every bit of it for His glory. This is talking about life and your soul and your heart and the power by which you live. And the opportunity that you have to make an eternal impact. Finally, His name demands a decision. His name demands a decision. I've told you before, people can talk about God. It's probably becoming a little bit increasingly hard to do that. But for the most part, we're still in a part of the world and a part of the country where you can talk about God in a generic way and people won't really bat an eye. You can talk about prayer. People won't bat an eye. But when you say Jesus Christ, you are drawing a line in the sand. Nobody hears that name and doesn't have a reaction. In John 6, there's an incredible picture. 
Jesus is teaching and these large crowds are coming to Him and His disciples are pretty excited about that. It's, it's, it's every preacher's dream. Crowds. Lots of people. And Jesus uses that opportunity to start teaching some really, really, really hard things. If you don't eat my flesh, drink my blood, you won't have eternal life. And obviously, He was talking about the bread of life and the blood of the communion. The blood on the cross and His work on the cross on our behalf and believing in that and taking it in. But the crowd started dispersing, leaving. That's not what they came for. They came for miracles. They came to hear good news, nothing too hard. Some good moral teaching and wisdom on how to live. And so they start leaving and His disciples in John 6 come to Jesus and they basically say, what are you doing? Uh, this is really hard. Who is really going to listen to this, Jesus? Like, Who's going to be able to handle what you're saying? And Jesus looks at them, and the Bible says even they're grumbling about it. They're grumbling to Him about this hard teaching. And He looks at them, and He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And some of those disciples that we don't know their name, John says they turned and they left. Wasn't just the crowds that left him. It was also some people that had proclaimed to be their his followers because he he was saying hard things to them, so they turned and left. And then the twelve came to him, the apostles. And he looks at these twelve men. He looks them in their eye, and he says. Are you going to leave too? And they look at him, and this is what they say Where would we go? They don't say, Oh, I found that to be easy teaching. Oh, yeah, I got exactly what you were saying. I don't know what everybody else's problem is. No, they looked at him and they said, Well, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. They're hard words. They trouble us too. But where are we going to go? Do you look at Jesus and say, where else would I go? I will cling to you. I will hold on to you. I will not move from you because I have no other place to go. You are supreme. You are the creator. You are the sustainer. You are the goal of the universe. And my lot is with you. I go where you say. I go where you go. I do what you tell me. I live by what you say. I will abide with you.
Or would we say, yeah, I go to church. I believe in Christ. I pray some. Read the Bible some. I do those things. Religious practice. There's a difference. There's a difference. I want you to look in your notes. I want you to fill in those blanks at the end. Whether you're a note taker or not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take them up. I'm not going to look at them. But if you're willing, I would write something down. Who is Jesus to you? Who is He to you? Write that out. It helps to write things down. Who is He? It is the most important question of your life. Who is Christ? No other question matters. I'm not saying there are... No other question matters as much as that one. Where am I going? What am I doing? Is God going to fix this issue? Will this problem be resolved? Who should I marry? How should we live? What do I do about this issue, this problem, this diagnosis? Although those are important questions. None of them are as important as that question. Who is Jesus to me? That question is eternal life or it's eternal death.